0: He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word promises many, many things to us. Most importantly, it promises us Jesus Christ in the gospel. The perfect human, the one who died for us, the one who rose again, the one who gives us eternal hope. Help us to see him this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Back in 2006... I began pastoring a small little church in Baghdad, Kentucky, Indian Fork Baptist Church. So what's that? 13 years ago, I was here at the seminary, started pastoring young, didn't know anything, started pastoring a little Baptist church in the tobacco farming community. And when I I started at Indian Fork, um, we didn't have a lectionary, so I preached through books of the Bible, I'd never done this before though. So here I am, a young man just stepping right in. And I started the book of Colossians. And the reason I started the book of Colossians is because uh, Paul, St. Paul is just laser focused on Jesus Christ in the book of Colossians. If you look down in verses 15, I'm going to read a few verses here down below our reading. He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That is like the most full Christ-centered paragraph, maybe in the whole Bible, that in all things he might be preeminent. Thankfully, the book of Colossians has not changed one bit since 2006 and definitely long before that, too. But I've changed a ton. Baptist church, going to a Baptist seminary, had two kids, now I've got (laughs) nineteen. A lot of identity shifts. And I dare say, even the way I read this book now of Colossians is different. The text hasn't changed. Jesus has not changed. But we we all read the Bible this is not an excuse for some sort of heretical private reading, but this is just because we're human. We all read the Bible through our experiences. And what has happened to me and to my family over the last 13 years, just like to all of you, we all have different experiences, but we all live through experiences. It shapes the way we view the Bible, reality. But Jesus never changes. And his love for us never changes. So I'm going to try to to say a few words about this text from Colossians 1. St. Paul wrote this while he was uh, most likely in a little jail in Ephesus. And uh, when we look at the Bible... We, we, we tend to look at it for theology or for practical advice for our daily lives or there are any number of things. But we rarely feel the earthiness of what was actually happening. So, so Paul wasn't writing a systematic theology. He was writing letters as a, as a many times, not always, but many times as an individual who was in prison, sometimes even being tortured because he named the name of Jesus. And it was writing very personal letters many times, for very personal reasons. Uh, of course, he always had the gospel and the glory of Jesus at the center of, of what motivated him. But you know, he was dealing with very practical matters. Sometimes they were ethical, moral issues. Sometimes they were issues of more doctrinal things like uh, uh, who, who was Jesus? When did the, Is the resurrection already happened? There's all sorts of things he's very practically. In in a very earthy way trying to accomplish. These weren't ivory tower discussions. These were real life people dealing with real life issues. And the church was just getting off the ground. So when you read the book of Colossians. Or any uh, of the Bible for that matter. But, but since we're dealing here. And I would encourage you. Take, maybe take a 15 minutes this afternoon. And read through the book of Colossians in one sitting. It's, it's a, beautiful, uh, a beautiful experience. I, th- I thought about this. This is parentheses. We, we don't read the Bible so that Jesus will love us. OK, Jesus loves us because of Jesus. But when we read the Bible, we spontaneously over time love him more. And that's a beautiful thing that communion can happen. So. Um, Colossians is a very earthy book. You know, also, to make it even more uh, earthy and, and contextual, uh, m- many New Testament scholars think that this was also... Uh, he sent this letter to uh, the to church of Colossae at the same time he was sending the, the letter Philemon through Onesimus back to Philemon. Now, if you know anything about, about the book of Philemon, that's a very culturally sensitive document because here was Onesimus, the slave... Servant, slave of Philemon running away and he became a Christian and in the chance, luck, really providence of God, he runs into Paul and Paul mentors him and says, now, Onesimus, you need to go back to Philemon, uh, not as a slave, but as his brother." And uh, that's the sort of earthiness, the sort of real-life issues that St. Paul is dealing with in these letters. So you have him sending multiple letters. and It seems like these two letters at least, and maybe even the book of Ephesians, were being all sent at the same time from this uh, prison, prison cell. I want to focus on three things and then a final thought. Uh, Paul models for us here pray. For each other. He says here at the beginning, in our prayers, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. I just want to say, um, I'm thankful for you all. And the faith that I see, of course, is a gift of God's grace. But what we uh, have accomplished by God's mercy and what God is accomplishing through us, I should say more pointedly, is is a beautiful family, which I am so, so thankful for. We're learning how to live together and to love one another and make decisions and grow. And as Paul says that he is thankful for these brothers and sisters in Colossae, I want to say this morning that I am thankful for each of you. And what you mean to my family and I. He says, "Uh, you have heard of this hope. This hope that was laid up for you in heaven. He says, you have heard of this hope before in the word of the truth. The gospel that has come to you. The good news about Jesus Christ. And this gospel is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world. And that is to this day still the same. The good news of Jesus Christ throughout all the world is bearing fruit because uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church growing. It cannot happen. God has promised that this fruit will continue to grow. So it has been bringing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and and the day that you truly comprehended the grace of God. I thank God for each of you. Then he goes on to say, though, in the next paragraph, for this reason, since we heard of it, we have not ceased praying for you. And he prays for them for two two reasons, two different things. He says that he prays for them that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That is a beautiful prayer that we can have for ourselves here at Grace Anglican. We can be praying for one another as we walk in our daily lives as parents, as, uh, as uh, in our vocations as em- em- employees or employers, and our vocations as citizens of this country, as our vocations as uh, uh, whatever community uh, involvement or responsibilities we have. All of these beautiful callings that God has given us, we need His. Wisdom, And so we can pray for one another for this wisdom, that we may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. So he prays for them wisdom. The second thing he prays for uh, these Christians of Colossae is. is that they would be thankful people. May you be made strong with all strength that comes from His glorious power and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father. So Paul makes specific, uh, specific uh, mention here of two things. Praying for wisdom and praying for gratitude or thankfulness. What a beautiful prayer that we can have for each other, we have so much to be thankful for at Grace. Most importantly, uh, Jesus Christ, the gift uh, to us in the gospel. Now, I said at the beginning um, that the Word of God has not changed, and Jesus, as the preeminent One, has not changed. But I've changed, and the way I read the Book of Colossians in many ways has changed. I think when I preached this, and I didn't go back and look at it because, well, I don't know. I guess I was scared. <laughs> but I can imagine, because I know um, the way I've thought for a long time, I would have read this passage and heard this and said, all right, Paul here models for us. He models for us uh, giving thanks to God for others, he models for us praying for others. He models for us in how we pray for others, for spiritual wisdom, and that we may all have a sense of gratitude and thankfulness. Amen. What a beautiful beautiful exhortation and model that Paul has given to us. But I think now I've I've lived enough life to know that I I just don't live up to those ideals very well. And if we uh, knew uh, Paul personally, we would be able to see his works and faults and flaws. Now, obviously, he'd have been a much more godly person than I am. So that's I'm not trying to make that equivalency. But but none of us love each other perfectly. None of us pray for one another the way we should. None of us. Oh, and God help us in this. None of us have thankful and grateful hearts like we should. I really believe that if we live lives of gratitude and thankfulness, you know that complaining would basically disappear. Because you can't complain and be thankful at the same time. It's like basically impossible. But Jesus doesn't love who we should be. He loves who we actually are. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. Justin Holcomb, a guy I read some, he, he, I, I was paraphrasing him. Jesus doesn't love, and I think this is the quote, Jesus doesn't love the ideal self that you will be one day. He loves the actual self that you are right now. So I looked at this last verse, and I was thinking about the gospel. The gospel is not about me praying. The gospel is not about me having gratitude. The gospel is not about me having wisdom. Those are all fruits, beautiful, functional, God honoring fruit. But the gospel, and Philip Carey says this, the gospel is a story about Jesus that contains a promise that is for you. That's the gospel. So the gospel is a story. It's a story about uh, the coming of Jesus Uh, And it's 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 broader than this because the whole the whole Bible is leading up to this gospel story. But but to to, to narrow it down, the gospel is this story of Jesus, God himself coming as a baby, being born by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, living a perfect life, fulfilling all righteousness. He was baptized by uh, John the Baptist to fulfill all righteousness he went into the, the desert and was tempted by Satan for 40 days and did not sin. Contrast that with the 40-day wanderings of the Israelite people in the Old Testament and that complete debacle that that was. Jesus did perfectly what they could not do. So he lived this perfect life fulfilling all righteousness. He he suffered, he suffered greatly. Because of who he was and what he claimed to be, which is God. And he gave himself uh, willingly. The the, the Romans, the Jews, anyone else that was there at that moment, they could not have taken him if he did not go willingly. He could have called a thousand angels and wiped the whole place out, but he went willingly. So this is the story. He went willingly to the cross, gave himself a, a bloody death. Um, breathed his last said, it is finished. But of course then three days later, he rose from the dead with great power and in the gift of the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost. This is the story of the Gospel. And this is a story that contains a promise. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. Let's not get the fruit of the gospel and the gospel confused here. The gospel is not about us. It's about Jesus. So listen to this verse here. Let's think about what God has done for us. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This undergirds everything. This is the point. Look at these four words. He rescued. He transferred. He redeemed and he forgave. This is the gospel for you. He is rescued. Have you ever been in a situation where you needed to be rescued? You couldn't do it yourself. And someone comes in or something comes in and removes you from that situation that you needed to be rescued from. That's what Jesus has done. We had no capability to rescue ourselves. Dead in sins, as, the, uh, as, as Paul says in Ephesians. He has transferred us. Transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. So we were over here and he moved us over here because of what Jesus did. Has done. Yes, we are citizens of this earth, of this country, of this state, but we are most importantly and eternally citizens of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And our allegiance belongs to King Jesus because he has transferred us. We have redemption. The word redemption, of course, has the idea of redeeming. And the idea of redeeming is, is buying. If you redeem something, you, you buy it. And that's what Jesus has done through his death. He has bought us from away from the power of darkness, away even from the wrath of God, and redeemed us from that and brought us out of that situation so that we are free. We have been made free, redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And honestly, this last word is sort of the the heart of it all, in my opinion. Because none of this is possible without forgiveness. We have a huge problem. We have a huge problem. And it's not our neighbor, and it's not uh, our politicians, and it's not um, some foreign invaders. none of those those can be issues those are things we have to work out but that is not our problem you know what our problem is our sin and on the cross when Jesus said it is finished that forgiveness was real he took all that punishment on himself and now we have his righteousness that forgiveness is done We have been rescued. We have been transferred. We have been redeemed. We have been forgiven. And that's the gospel. The promise to all of you. And to me. Now. Let's go back just a second. About. About praying. Wisdom. And thankfulness. Uh, I'm going to. I don't embarrass her. My wife tells me a lot. She's really taught me this. She says, "You know what? Becoming like Jesus is actually a promise. Something we do. Yeah, we gotta get up and do the next thing the next day. But you have to have this conception of what God is doing—that He is promising to you to make you like Jesus. Becoming like Jesus is a promise." And we know it's a promise because he's already rescued us. He's already transferred us. He's already deemed us. He's already, already forgiven us. We are his. We are his and he is for us. In all ways, he is for us most profoundly in our place at the cross. And he is for us now in our prayers. In our thankfulness. And as we grow in wisdom. Thanks be to God. Amen.